Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Unconditional love. What actually does that mean? And though most of us want to receive it, we may actually have difficulty giving it. Why? Because it's a lot harder than we think. You want to be loved for all of you, warts and all, and so does your spouse, your child, and in fact, everyone on the planet. So how can you make this happen? Well, that's what I'm going to be talking about today with my guest, talk show host, Betsy Wurzel. So Betsy, thanks for coming on the show and talking about what is actually kind of a complicated topic. Well, thank you for having me on, Leslie. I really appreciate it. Yes, unconditional love. <laughs> uh, you know, right? What does that look like? Uh, yes. People probably wonder. And in my situation, I was married for 39 years when my husband passed away. He had early onset Alzheimer's. Mm, yeah. And during his journey, I learned that unconditional, that deep unconditional soul connection that I never had with Matt before because I had to do everything for him and he couldn't do anything for me. I couldn't mm-hmm. expect him to return to do anything for me because he couldn't. Right. And to me, it's loving someone through their illness, their situation may, may not be an illness. It just may be a, a situation that they're in knowing that the only return you're going to get is that you know that they love you and they show that. Okay. And so, I mean, because this, this idea, you know, unconditional love and, and for a long time, and I'm still, I, I'm still not completely convinced I'm not accurate about this, but you know, that unconditional love at bet, you know, it, it, when we feel it, it's mostly parent to child, right? You know, we, we, you know, we, we say we love our children unconditionally, although some people don't. Um, you know, and this, this idea of, of unconditional love. And so I think where a lot of times I get hung up and maybe other people do is does unconditional love mean I have to accept poor treatment or, I mean, you know, because this is, this is where, you know, I think we get kind of get hung up on that word unconditional because it makes it sound like we just have to let go of anything that matters to us. And I don't really think that's what it means, but. I I agree. I I think that we need to set boundaries. Boundaries are very important for our own mental health. Mm -hmm. And if I was um, mistreated by somebody physically, verbally, Mm -hmm. emotionally, I would have to disconnect. I, I could not take being treated that way. Okay. So um, I think it, there's a difference. My son, Josh, uh, he also learned unconditional love for his dad because he helped take care of his dad. He knew his dad couldn't do anything for him. Now, with Matt's um, early onset Alzheimer's, of course, he would curse at us because that's mm-hmm. part and we're parcel of the package. So, you know, we overlooked that because he would not have talked to us like that um, in his normal state of mind. Mm-hmm. So 
it wasn't Matt being abusive. It was Matt. I, I called it Mr. O, Mr. L's uh, raising its ugly head <laughs> or rearing its ugly head. So, but if I was in a relationship uh, with someone who was uh, abusive, I, I couldn't tolerate that. Right. And, and so I guess, I guess there are parameters for unconditional love. And I think, I think that's where, you know, and I, and I love your description of this because this is really the way we should be anyway of doing things for other people because, it may, because it's about us, not because we're expecting something in return. That, that obviously is either conditional or transactional depending on how we want to phrase it. And, you know, but, but this is the thing I think about relationships is that there is a give and take and, and there is what I call grace for the other person. And in your particular case, you know, your husband had a, a, a horrendous illness. I'm not, I'm not sure there's, I, I don't know which illness is worse, Alzheimer's or ALS. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. They're both like the most horrendous mm-hmm. things I think on the planet. Um, yes. you know, because, because as you're saying, you know, he was doing things that, that were a result of the disease, not a result of his character or his person. And, you know, and it's, and it's how do we um, determine that, which is, you know, because one of the things I talk with my clients about is there's our, you know, there's our personality, there's the way we view the world, and then there's our actions. And the one we can change is, is actually the behavior. Um, but when you're talking about somebody like your husband who has, you know, who has this illness and it's not anything he can control, um, did that make it, I don't know, did, did that make it easier or, or clearer maybe is a better question, I guess. It, it did. I learned, when you're a caregiver, you learn to have a twisted sense of humor. <laughs> and so Josh and I, developed a twisted sense of humor. I mean, Matt would be one minute saying, thank you, thank you for helping me, I love you, and then the next minute would be you, blank, blank, blank. Right. (laughs) You don't do anything. And Josh and I would just look at each other and and laugh because it's either you laugh or you cry. And sometimes you do both (laughs) at the same time. So, uh, and my son has a cognitive disability. But yet he understood that his dad acted this way because his brain was dying and he could not help it. Mm-hmm. He would never talk to us that way otherwise. That was totally out of Matt's uh, character. And the first time Matt cursed out loud in public, we were in a crowded department store. Josh came over hysterically crying. I mean, laughing, laughing so hard he was crying. And I said, what happened? He goes, Daddy said the F bomb. <laughs> and well, I was, uh, he, I, like, uh, I said, he did. <laughs> so, so how did you, know, because this was obviously, you know, a journey for you. And, you know, and it started with, I mean, because obviously my guess is that you, that somebody noticed something was going on with your husband, whether he noticed it, whether you noticed it, whether somebody else noticed it before. I mean, because obviously before the diagnosis. So, so how, did you, how did you start down this journey to, to what you describe as deep, unconditional soul love connection? 
Well, that's a great question, Leslie. Uh, I noticed things at home and unknown to me at the time. They were noticing things at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took, it wasn't right away. Mm-hmm. I was very resentful, actually, that Matt didn't tell me what was going on. But then I, I understood he didn't tell me because he didn't remember. The time mm-hmm. he came home, he didn't remember what was going on. And you have to let go of resentment and hostility that you might have had in the past towards your partner um, mm-hmm. because it's not, it won't work. And, you know, I, I, I realized like midway, I went for counseling. I highly recommend that for anybody, especially caregivers, mm-hmm. that, you know, I didn't have to be the strong superwoman. That's a, a myth. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, I don't have to like what's going on with Matt, who, who would, but right. I have to accept it. Mm-hmm. And I had to accept that he was a progressing. And, you know, I, I did resent, I'll be honest, I resented losing my freedoms and not being able to go out like I used to. But then I had epiphany. And I said, Matt will never get his freedom. He will never have it. Nobody ever wants to be like this. No one chooses to be like this. And so that hit me when I had that epiphany. And I said, you know what? I will gain my independence when Matt dies, but he'll never gain it. And so my attitude changed. And I think we need to, you know, we can't change the situation, but we can change our perspective and how we look at it. And I was Matt's world. Josh and I were Matt's world. And Mm -hmm. I tried to make it as happy as possible for him. And, you know, I mean, he couldn't go out and buy me cards anymore for anniversary or birthday. He couldn't go out and buy me gifts. I would buy it. And I'd say, here, Matt, this is what you gave me. (laughs) (laughs) But I did that even before he had dementia. (laughs) Um. Excuse me, but he used to write like little silly poems in my birthday or anniversary cards, and he couldn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's to, you know, I think it's it, the essence, Leslie, is to know that even though they can't write it, uh, Matt would tell me all the time that he loves me. Um, and you just have, I feel that you just have to accept that person as where they, they are. And you know, love, love them. And I, I always say, you know, dementia robs the brain, but it cannot rob the heart. Oh, it cannot so rob the heart of love. And the, the heart knows love. And, and, and I truly believe that. Matt knew and felt the love that Josh and I had for him. Even when he was dying, he knew that we loved him. Well, and I, and, and I love that you're talking about, um, this idea of making a choice to, you know, because, you know, you know, we do things, you know, life is unfair. Um, You know, there's, you know, we're not, we're not promised, we're not promised smooth sailing, you know, into tomorrow, you know, stuff happens. And, you know, there's, you know, there is that time period where, you know, you're kind of, stomping your feet and shaking your fist at the sky and going, why is this happening? But then it sounds as if you and your son, you know, probably led by you, was just deciding 
we can't change this. So what are we going to do with it? And, you know, and, and it was ob it's obvious that how much you adored him. And so that was, I think that probably played a role in that it's like, he's not doing this on purpose. It's something that's happening to him as well. And how are we going to get through this? And with, I mean, and you said you, you did some counseling. Um, what, what was the result of that? How was that helpful? The counseling helped me know that how I felt was okay. Mm -hmm. Because I grew up in an emotionally abusive environment as a child. Mm -hmm. And I was made to feel that how I felt was not okay. You don't cry. It's a weakness. Um, you know, that's old school mm -hmm. thinking. And I oh, yeah. learned that it's okay, you know, to cry. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to validate my feelings. And I have a right to feel however I feel. And I have a right to validate mm -hmm. and acknowledge my feelings. Because, I, you know, I grew up. And, you know, my parents, um, they grew up during that time where you didn't talk about your feelings. <laughs> you didn't talk about yes. how you felt. Yes. And... I, you know, I even, I raised my, I raised my son, talk about how you feel, come mm -hmm. to me and vent on how you feel. And, and he would, and I, and I, I suggest to people, you know, let your children vent to you. Don't cut off that communication. You'll be sorry that, mm -hmm. that you do. But I just had to change my attitude, and, and it's a mindset, Leslie, it's a mindset, I'm going to get through this disease, I'm not going to let this disease defeat me, I am mm -hmm. going to make it through. And, you know, that's, that's so powerful, and I, and I love, you know, and this is one of those things where, you know, I will talk with people about, you know, whatever we feel is fine, and it's, it's, you said it's being able to give voice to that in in a safe space where just because I just because I'm upset at the situation it doesn't mean I don't care about the people in it but I have to be able to share that anger hurt frustration whatever all those you know the feelings that we don't want to feel or think we shouldn't feel or somebody else doesn't want us feeling um, but if we if we can't get them out of our system, I think they just run around and do damage. I think that that probably prevents people from doing what you did, which is here's the situation. Um, how do how do we make the best of it for all of us? Am, am I am I even on the right track with that? It's true. Yeah, that's that's very true, Leslie. And when people stifle their emotions. It's going to come bite them right in their rear end, and it's going to come out as a physical illness. It could come out as a mental health issue. I was snapping before mm -hmm. I had counseling. I was uh, working in a preschool. I was snapping at the kids and didn't even mm -hmm. realize how I was talking. Right. And snapping at Matt and Josh because it will come out. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's the thing, the pressure that we put on ourselves and that society puts on us. Uh, we don't have to be perfect. We're not perfect. We're human beings and we have emotion. And mm -hmm. even with grieving, Leslie, I mean, that's a whole other topic, yeah. but people don't want to talk about, you know, grieving and how people feel. And, you know, I'm very open about my grieving, mm -hmm. like very open about it. 
And I don't care what people think anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> Wait, I'm too old for that. that. I'm is, 64. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is one of the advantages is that as we get older, we learn. And this is one of the things that I think you know, is so important for people to understand is that you know, you're talking about letting your children do this and, and, you know, and encouraging people and not removing the shame from all of this because, you know, first off, shame is not helpful in any way, shape, or form, um, you know, and, but it keeps us from, you know, being able to find the good in the situation, which I'm, I'm sure you and your son and your husband had moments where, you know, it, things were good and, you know, you have to cherish those things, I think, because that's what's going to get you through the times that aren't so great. That's true. And, you know, I've had my meltdowns. And when I had a meltdown, I came back uh, stronger. And my counselor gave me the best advice. He said, Betsy, have your pity party. Set a timer for mm -hmm. 15 minutes. Have your pity party and then pack it up and move it along. Best advice I ever got, and I give it out to everybody. <laughs> and, and, and I do that as well because, because you know, it, it is. You, you get it out of your system. You don't try to hold it down. You get it out of your system, and then you can move on. So right now I want to remind listeners that this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dories, and I'm talking about unconditional love with talk show host Betsy Wurzel. Life and marriage is filled with twists and turns. Some great, some challenging, and some that will provide an opportunity to grow beyond yourself. Some of these can be predicted and others can come straight out of the blue. But if you arm yourself with knowledge, you will have the power to address them in positive, productive ways. And that's where I come in. If you want to know more about what makes relationships work and how to have the best marriage you can, I invite you to get in touch and schedule your free, no obligation, five-star relationship call. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. And um, again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can reach me by email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching and is in Nancy C is in charlie.com and now I want to get back to this conversation about unconditional love with Betsy so Betsy what obstacles did you run into on your journey and how did you move through them <laughs> I came through a lot of obstacles um, losing one was just losing my independence not being able to do what I would like to do and mm -hmm. you know when I had that epiphany I saw things differently um, realizing that Matt is totally dependent on us. Mm -hmm. And when he would follow me around, it wasn't that he was trying to be a pain in the rear end. He was scared to be uh, alone. Mm -hmm. And just dealing with, I, I spent a lot of time worrying about how am I going to deal as how Matt gets worse, how he progresses, how am I going to be after Matt dies, uh -huh. what will life look like after Matt dies. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, I just have to tell your audience, don't worry. You know, it, 
when the time comes, you will have the strength to do it. And you just do what you have to do. And, uh, well, I'm a believer. I mean, I, I believe God got me through, uh, gave me the strength to get me through. And, you know, either you have um, faith or whatever you believe in, you know, trust your belief system to get you through. And I just um, didn't know how I would be after Matt died. And I do go for grief counseling, which I highly recommend that also. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you just... Oh, go ahead. It sounds like, you know, you've... And and I'm, I'm curious as to you know, how a lot of this came to you, but, but, you know, part of it is, you know, we can get so caught up in the what ifs that we can, it can paralyze us to confuse, you know, and I had, I had a colleague many years ago tell me that all relationships end in tragedy. And I went, okay, (laughs) that's depressing. But, but I mean, it's true. All relationships are going to end either be either because we choose to end them or because the other person dies. And I mean, that's, you know, and it's just a question of when all this happens. It's not an if it's a when. And it sounds as if you were able to find a way to stay grounded and, and present but but all you know in acknowledging okay i'm having you know, this is not fun i'm i'm annoyed about this i'm frustrated by this i don't like this and you gave yourself time to feel that and it's like okay now i got to you know shut that you know put that away for a moment and and get on with with the doing how how was that helpful that's it's very helpful i i have to say that i turned my anger and I was angry, folks, at the medical community, how we were treated. And I couldn't let this anger destroy me. So I turned my anger into a passion. I went in my car and I started to do videos to raise awareness on early onset Alzheimer's. And then I talked about caregiving. Didn't, I didn't, never thought anyone would listen to me. I was like, who's going to listen to me? I'll just do, you know, say what I have to say. And I was in a lot of different support groups and I would put the videos in these support groups and people did listen. And they said, Betsy, you're saying exactly what we feel, but we're afraid to say it. Well, I'm a Jersey girl and my father's (laughs) daughter, so I'm not afraid to speak up. (laughs) Um, And that's how I, I found my passion. And then in 2018, uh, Jeannie White, who's station manager at Patchwork Talk Radio, saw one of my videos and interviewed me and asked me to speak on her show. And then after a little over a year, she gave me my show, and that gave me a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't set out to be a talk show host. It just, life just led me that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life after caregiving, my mission and vision is to help other people. And that's the purpose of my show is to provide people with resources to help them through their journey because no one should ever walk this journey alone during or after caregiving. And I want people to know that, you know, there's resources, there's people to, to help you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Um, everyone is different. I also was battling, Leslie, these, um, it was a battle from diagnosis to getting proper end-of-life care for Matt. And um, yeah. I unfortunately had the home hospice from hell experience. Oh, and they thought they were, 
since thought they were dealing with this meek little housewife because I am petite, but they soon soon learned that I have a big mouth. <laughs> small, but, small but mighty. So what yes. what would you recommend? You know, because um, you know you you end up with in a situation that luckily most of us are not going to end up in, um, but but we will. But most of us will have you know, something something similar, maybe you know. And so how can other people develop this ability to love so deeply and unconditionally? You know, that's really a good question. I, I think there's just some people, uh, well, I'm an empath, who, who can feel deeply and love deeply. And then there are some people who just can't. Mm. They just can't get past themselves. Okay. Maybe they're uh, a narcissist and it's impossible for them to love someone uh, deeply and unconditionally. So mm-hmm. I just feel that, you know what, no one chooses to have a, a, a disease like Alzheimer's or mm-hmm. ALS. And you're right, they both pretty much stink. Um, you know, you just have to decide, am I going to love this person through it? There's a lot of spouses who can't. There's a lot of spouses mm-hmm. who who just walk away. Uh, yeah. I I couldn't do that. Um, I'm not going to judge that person for doing it, but mm-hmm. I have heard of situations where they have, and you know, no one knows what really went on behind those closed doors. What kind of relationship mm-hmm. you had to the person prior to their disease? Um, not all marriages are great, but. Um, and Matt and I, we had our difficulties when his mom had Alzheimer's. Mm. And just as our marriage was getting back on track, he's diagnosed. So I had a lot of resentment. Yeah. A lot of resentment and hostility. And you know what? Resentment and hostility against someone else hurts us. It doesn't hurt them. And you got to let this stuff go. You just... And I did. I just let it go because it was poisoning me. And, and just have to clear it out. Yeah, that's such a that's such a fantastic viewpoint of it because, you know, it's um you know, is it what is it the thing they say about, you know, anger or resentment or whatever is like you taking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, because it it really is and and you know and the fact is that having feeling anger or resentment in and of itself is not the problem. It's just, I think, allowing it to fester and take over. And, you know, and, and you spoke so eloquently about, you know, going and getting help, whether it was, you know, with, the, with the, um, an individual counselor or, or doing, you know, being parts of groups where, you know, support groups where other people who are going through the same thing, you know, you, I do think that this idea that we're supposed to go through all this stuff alone puts us pu- puts people into a really bad position because we can't. You know, there are days when it's exhausting, and yes. you know, and and being a caregiver, um, you know, we need we need other people around us. I mean, human beings are are communal creatures. We're not meant to go live in the forest by ourselves. Um, you know, and, and it can be really hard 
to admit some of these things, you know, um, about not always having positive feelings either about the person or about, and it's usually about the situation. It's usually, I just don't like the situation. Um, and it's not, like you're saying, it's not, it was not your husband's fault. He wasn't doing anything on purpose. Um, and I think maybe that's part of it. It's just that choice that this is not happening. Nobody's doing this on purpose. Is that kind of the key to it as well? Yes, yes, and I highly recommend, um, I say this all the time, uh, caregivers especially need to educate themselves on whatever their loved one's diagnosis is and to be an advocate because when you, you know, they say knowledge is power. You know, when someone is hallucinating, what are you going to do? Um, and Or they start cursing at you. You can't take it personally. You know, when they have a disease like dementia, they don't know what they're doing. They don't right. realize what they're saying. And you just have to um, be like a duck and let it go, <laughs> roll off your back like water. Uh, you have to develop a thick skin. And, you know, there's, I always say this too, there's no such person as a perfect caregiver because we're not perfect. And right. either we're going to be a caregiver or need a caregiver. Right, and, and, and I want to remind my audience that being a caregiver isn't necessarily helping somebody deal with a, with a devastating illness like Alzheimer's. I mean, being a, being a caregiver is kind of what we all do in, in, in the best of our relationships. Um, and, it's, and it's such a, you know, and this idea, and, and I'm going back to something that you said earlier about you know, not even realizing how this was impacting you, you, you and your job with, with, with these little kids. And sometimes it can be helpful, if, especially if we're not sharing what's going on in our lives, that somebody else will go, what's up with you? Betsy, knock that crap off. Not understanding that it was a reaction to what else is going on. And I think this is the other thing that, you know, this strong individualistic, I don't need anybody message that we get all the time which is crap. <laughs> right. um, yeah, that's you know, true. Gets, gets in the way that, that we need to have people around us who love us unconditionally. When, because, I mean, you know, you were going through all of this. Your son was going through all of this. It's, it's not just, was not just your husband. Yes, he was experiencing a lot of the things, but, but it was bleeding over as it will in all relationships. And then it's making the decision to, and I think it's a brave decision to tell other people what's going on. And, you know, yes. I'm notoriously bad at asking for help. I, you know, it's, I'm one of these people that is, is really bad about it. Um, and it's something I need to learn. And I think that what, you're, what I'm hearing from you is that that's part of this developing this unconditional love piece is having support. Yes, I, I'm not one to ask for help. And because I'm just afraid to get rejected, I did mm -hmm. ask for help, though, from our church and didn't receive any help. But that's another story. Um, yeah. We were, we were, it's a shame that we were abandoned by so-called uh, friends mm -hmm. and uh, family members. They run away uh, from a diagnosis of dementia. And... Mm -hmm. 
I ha- I was very bitter against that, and I, I have let that go too. And yeah. I, I was very, very blunt when Matt was dying, and I said, you know what? If you didn't even call about Matt to say how he was, do not show up with your fake sympathy. Don't want to mm-hmm. see it. Don't want to hear it. Um, right. But it's it's very um, difficult, especially in a work situation. People talk uh, about you behind your back, and people judge. But mm-hmm. but we need to stop that stigma and the judgment. And how about saying to someone, I see you're having a rough time. How can I help you? Right. You know, like yeah. Just to even listen to someone, hold space for them, as they say. Why can't mm-hmm. we do that? I was being judged by my coworkers. And, and they knew that my husband had Alzheimer's. But yet they were judging me. They eat. Right. What a well, bunch I mean, of wackos. Well, I mean, and a lot of this, the thing that people, you know, that I want people to understand is that most people's reactions are about them, not about you. And, and of course, this, this kind of stuff brings up all kinds of fear. And, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, with you, with, with, the, with the Alzheimer's diagnosis, and I know people who, who've had cancer, you know, they're, they're surprised. They're surprised by who steps up, and they're su- and and they're surprised by who doesn't. And you know, and this is all about um, you know compassion and compassion for ourselves, compassion for others. And and you know, if we could be a lot more compassionate, I think that's a big piece of the unconditional yeah. love. Is that can can I find compassion for this other person, even if I don't fully understand what's going on. Right. Exactly. And, and I understand and I get that nobody knows what it's like until they live it. I didn't know what it was like to lose a spouse until I lost a spouse. I'm sure I said right. some things that were incorrect because uh, I didn't know any better at the time. But when someone has a devastating illness, whether it's cancer, ALS, you know, Alzheimer's, some kind of dementia, uh, someone would just to say to the person, you know what, I'm making an extra casserole tonight. Can I stop by and give it to you? Right. Um, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? Uh, even that. And, and in today's world where you could text, you know, mm-hmm. you could even send a message. I'm thinking of you. Right. Um, <laughs> I have a cousin, boy, did she make a mistake. She said that she was disappointed. She said she was disappointed. Oh, I forgot about family. I said, is that so? Where was my family when Matt was dying? Where were you? Did I get a text from you? No, I did not. That shut her up. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things. So, Betsy, can you share um, some information about where people can learn more about, one, your your um, show and about, you know, where they can learn more if they may be going through something, maybe not exactly, but something similar? Sure. Thank you, Leslie. Yes, my uh, support group is on Facebook. It's called Hashtag Tick Alzheimer's Ass Movement. And you don't, do not have to be a caregiver. And I accept um, people all walks of life are in my group. And we welcome everyone. And you get educated. A lot of education there. 
And also my talk show, Chatting with Betsy, is on most um, podcast uh, platforms, Spotify, Spreaker, Apple, iHeart, iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So what I want people to take away is that love is a big word. But more than just a word, love is action. And unconditional love is truly the pinnacle. And it's not about self-sacrifice, but about growth and deep connection to another person. It takes courage. As you've heard today, the outcome is worth it. So hopefully you will have the courage to keep listening to this show. And until... Next week, stay loving.